Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Uh, One of the the letters in the Bible, but uh, to kind of set the tone for... Check, okay, for where we are and what we're talking about, I'm going to share two passages of Scripture with you quickly. Uh, if you want to uh, follow along, you can jump to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and then we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 6, and then we're going to jump into a whole other book. So there's going to be a, a lot of Scripture uh, going out this morning. If you want to take notes and write them down, here's the thing. I definitely want you to look and follow along. I want you to read these so you can see I'm not making this stuff up. So you can see this is coming out of God's Word. But starting in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, this was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. All right, And this is towards the end of his letter, actually. We're in chapter... Uh, 15, as he's winding down his letter, um, he says this. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, uh, for him, uh, he's saying, he, he's winding down his letter, but he's basically saying, everything I'm about to tell you is more important than everything I've already told you in the previous 14 chapters. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, most theologians believe that he's saying that that stuff doesn't matter unless you acknowledge this. It all hinges on this, what he's about to tell him. So he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here's what he says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's reiterating, reiterating to them that Christ did die, that it was prophesied, it was according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And, and I don't know how many of you know who J.J. Abrams is, but he would call this a fringe event. This was like a supernatural thing that happened. And he goes on to say why it's a supernatural thing. It was according to the scriptures. It was foretold. And he appeared. Now he's about to list, and we've talked about this before, a list of people that saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. He said he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, meaning the the, the 12 apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. So this wasn't, he appeared to 12 over here, 15 over there, 35 over there. There was some public event, some public gathering, some public place where over 500 people were, and Jesus showed up. And he says, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, Then to all the apostles again, and if you read through the book of Acts, there were multiple times that they record that Jesus appeared to the apostles, the resurrected Jesus. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, somewhere in this, maybe it was part of the 500, maybe it was as recorded in the book of Acts when it says Jesus appeared and uh, they were in a room praying and the family was with him. He also appeared to Jesus' brother, Jude. Now, Jude... Uh, we're about to read through that entire book, um, was one of the people like James who used to criticize, mock Jesus for thinking he was the Messiah, for thinking he was God. They used to make fun of him. But then after he appeared to them, they were so impacted and so empowered that James became what is called a pillar in the church. Now, uh, I'm going to jump over to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you have read this passage of scripture either, and these two passages together are going to going to kind of form the, the, the theme 
for what we're going to talk about this morning. In Ephesians, Paul writes uh, to the church in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, he's winding down his letter to them. It's kind of like he said uh, a lot of stuff, and then he says, now, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, he's, we, we've talked about this before, and he tells them to be prayed up, and he tells them all this stuff, and he says, here's why they need to do this. He says, for our struggle... Our fight, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil. He says, hey, listen up, church. And, and I, I'm not trying to be political, but he says, hey, listen up, church. You're not supposed to be fighting against the government because they're making decisions you don't like. You're not supposed to be fighting against other denominations because they do things. He says, you're, you, we, when we do that, We're pointing our weapons at the wrong people. He says your true fight, the real fight, is against the rulers, the authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. He said there are spiritual forces at work. That's who we need to be fighting against. Now, here's what else he says. Get this. I'm going to put this uh, because... some people read this, and this is, uh, I'm going to put it in the message version, which is kind of like a paraphrase. Here's what it says in the message. Verse 12 says, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from or forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. This is a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Does that, does that sink in? Does that, the gravity of what he says make more sense? He says, this is, this is, how many guys remember Muhammad Ali and the old, oh yeah, okay, all right. (laughs) And and he like, he had this rope or dope thing where he would just stand there and people would, you know, just battle him and they'd wear themselves out and then he'd come out swinging. It's not like that. And you guys remember Karate Kid? Where at the end of the Karate Kid, he did the whole, ah, and then at the end, with one kick, he took his enemy out and he won. It's not like that. That's not how people fight today. This is like a mixed martial arts, break a a, a toe off, bite an ear off, claw, fight to the death. And he says it's not against men. It's against spiritual forces, and it's for real. Now, get this. He says it's against the devil and all of his angels, and it's a fight to the death. That means the devil, from his perspective, it's no holds barred. He's going after our kids. He's going after our spouses. He's going after our jobs. He's going after your health. He's going after your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, anything he can to get a foothold against you because he's fighting to win. And here's the problem. While he's fighting to win, we're fighting against each other. And sometimes he doesn't even have to fight. He just has to sit back, let us fight against each other. And then just go after whoever won. Because we're fighting against each other. Now here, this God, God has his weapons too. Now realize what he says. The devil isn't fighting against God. Because that's a fight he cannot win. So he comes after you and me. Because sometimes we lose. We allow him to win. Because even though we forget that even though the, that Satan's coming after us that God is for us. We have a, a, a bigger person than Satan who will fight those battles for us if we let him to. If we stop turning our weapons on each other and allow God to use us for his purposes. Now, 
Uh, let me switch uh, the script for a minute because last few weeks we were talking about this Bible series and uh, did you guys watch the end? Anyone watch the end of it? Okay. Now, apparently I was mistaken. I thought it was going through um, just through the death, burial, and resurrection, but I read an article where Mark Burnett, one of the producers, he said they took it all the way through Revelations. Is that true? Wow. That's awesome. Now, here's the thing. God can use that. God, that is a weapon or a tool that God can use to expand his kingdom. But even though that's a weapon that God can use, there were people who were arguing and fighting about that within the church. I mean, it makes no sense. Let me read this, uh, this, this to you. Mark Burnett, uh, who's the producer of Survivor, Shark Tank, and The Voice. Any Shark Tank fans? Okay. All right. I, if it were up to me, I'd have a Shark Tank credit card because there are so many cool products on there that I would buy. Anyway, all right. Um, So he points out that despite what he and others on the crew of the Bible might make of the unusual occurrences, and I shared that with you a couple of weeks ago, there was some really weird, unusual stuff that happened during the filming. He said the production's aim was not to impart a specific point of view to the tens of millions of TV viewers who watched the series. And literally, there were, and I'm I'm guesstimating just on stuff I've seen on the internet, which means it's true, right, that there were probably close to like 100 million people or more who have seen either some part or all of that entire series. But here's what he said. He said, we weren't trying to tell them a point of view. This is, this is really cool. He said, we made a conscious choice that on television, people don't want to be told how to feel, which makes sense. He said, you have to present the story and allow them to feel. And so we did that. Our hope was that people would start conversations and seek more that people would watch this series and they'd start talking about it and then say, well, I want to know a little bit more about that. And so they would go and start digging through their Bible. He said, had we been proselytizing on this series, I think it would have had the opposite effect. I think the fact that we have just shown the stories and people get to make up their own opinions, he says, it's a great discussion point. And God could use that. Millions upon millions upon millions of people watch that show. And here's the thing, even people who said, I'm not going to get up and go to church on Easter morning because I'm not there yet, after watching that show that night, last Sunday night, Resurrection Sunday night, some of them actually went to bed thinking, but maybe I'll go next week. Or maybe, maybe they, they, they were thinking, you know what, I work, with, I, I work with Larry and he's always talking about his church, so maybe I'm going to go ask him some questions about it. Or I've had, had, had coffee with, with, with Debbie or Diana or somebody, and I know they've talked about this church thing before, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite them out because I have questions about this thing. I want to know, and I'm going to ask them more. And millions upon millions of people went to bed last Sunday night thinking, maybe there's something to this God thing. And the moment they did that, the enemy put a target on their forehead And the morning after, Monday morning, he sent people, spiritual forces in their path to say, hey, you don't need to go talk to Larry. We've got work to do. You don't need to go invite so-and-so to coffee because that was just TV. That's just a story. None of it's real. The next morning, Monday morning, all of these people that have all these questions and all these things going through their head, the enemy sent all of his forces on keeping them from hearing the gospel. Because for him, it's war. Now, here's the thing. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Jude. 
because Jude tells us a little bit about this, and he talks about these people that their sole goal is to come in and refute the gospel, to twist the gospel, to pull the truths of God's word away from God's people. Now, Jude wrote this around 67 to uh, 80 AD, some 30 to 40 or 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there was a new generation of people who were out and and were hearing this gospel and were hearing this message and were thinking about, you know, wow, maybe there's some truth to this thing. I didn't know all this stuff that took place in Jerusalem. I wasn't one of those hundreds of people that got to see the resurrected Jesus Christ, but maybe there's some truth to it. And then they, 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 they went out with the thought that I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to go research this. And today, there's a whole generation of people who watch that movie and they're thinking, maybe there's some truth to this. I never heard these stories. I've never seen it put this way. I've never got to visualize what this church stuff or this God stuff looks like. But then there was a whole lot of enemies that put a whole lot of time into making sure that all of these people didn't hear this truth. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Jude. We're going to read through this. Uh, wow, time's really going. This entire, entire book. And it's only, it's only 25 verses. For those of you that are thinking, you know, it's not like we're going through, you know, 15 verses on 1 Corinthians. All right, but starting in verse 1, this is what he says. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And in verse 3, this is what he says. Dear friends, I've, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, this is going to sound like a very, I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. I'm not trying to be negative. It's going to sound negative, but pretty much this is what Jude says, all right? He says that I was getting ready to sit down at my desk and write you a letter or send you an email about salvation. Just like Paul said of first importance, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jude says, more important than me talking to you about salvation is me giving you this warning that there are going to be people that come and twist the gospel and try to take away the truth of God's word from you. He said, I was getting ready to write you a letter about salvation and oh, happy day, but this is more important. I need to get this warning out to you. And really quickly, this is what he said. He said, the people that have slipped in, he is telling the church not to like they're coming, they're here. There are people in the church. There are people leading congregations. There are people over whole denominations who are ungodly. They have no connection with God. I was having, um, this was a while ago, I was having a conversation with a group of pastors, and they were talking about some of the de- decisions their denomination, I'm not getting into that, some of the decisions their denominations were going to make. And, and my question was, how is it that, you know, we all read the same Bible, but even in your denomination, you're talking about some people are making these decisions, which you yourself say are not godly, and they're over the denomination. 
and you have all these pastors that supposedly know and preach God's words. How does this happen? And he said, well, the people that are over the denominations and make the decisions, they're not pastors. They don't know the Bible. And I'm not going to tell you what denomination it is because I'm not trying to go there, but there are people who don't know God's word. Jude says they're godless, meaning they have no connection with God. They don't have God's Holy Spirit in them, but yet they are guiding and leading the people of God. And as Jude is about to tell us, they're leading us astray. He says they're godless. He also says that they have a free license. Like, hey, we can do, and you guys have used, heard this before, we can do whatever we want because God's grace allows us to do it. We can do whatever we want because God would never judge us. He's a God of love. We can do whatever we want because God's not going to send me to hell. He loves me. Now, true, God doesn't send people to hell. He allows them to make their decisions and go where they want. But they're the people that say that we can, we can now here's the thing, trying to keep this on and, and, and not go off on a tangent. But here's the thing. He also says that they're immoral people. And here's is the, the people that usually say God's grace says I can do whatever I want. The thing that they usually want to do is something immoral. You never hear people saying God's grace says that I can just sell my home and give all my money to the poor. Right? You don't hear whole denominations encouraging their people to do that. And the ones that do encourage their people to do that, don't give it to the poor. They say give it to the pastor. (laughs) And I'll see that some of it gets to the poor when I drive by in my Lexus. Anyway, these people, they never say, hey, God's given me the grace to to freely go out and just quit my job and spend all day handing out food or, or, or doing something like that. It's usually something immoral, something that I want that pleases me. It's a self feeding greed that they are putting first. And they're just asking the whole, you know, church or denomination, come along with me, agree, this is right, because then we can do what we want. All right? Now, uh, here's the thing. Let's continue reading. Verse 5. He says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now, for all the people who say, hey, we can do what we want. We can live as immorally as we want. We can do whatever uh, pleases us, whether it be financially or sexually or whatever. Jude says that's not true. Those people are false because he gives biblical examples where God says, I'm going to judge those people who say they follow me but live in opposition to me. He gives the example of in the desert, a whole generation of people died in the desert because they said, we want to follow you, God, but here's what we want. We don't want to follow you. There were people who rose up in rebellion and God said, hey, you choose to rebel, then you choose to live outside of my lines. The angels, these are the angelic beings. And when we did the the whole series on heaven, we talked about the angels. And when Satan rebelled, there was a whole, it says one third, rebelled with him. But some of those, and most theologians believe these are like the worst of the worst, the, the, the worst of the worst of the demonic forces. God has kept in change until the day of judgment, and he will judge them. 
they're going to be judged. Just as those who choose to reject God are going to be judged. Those who choose to live out their immoral pleasures at the expense of others, they're going to be judged. And Sodom and Gomorrah, he gives an example, and we typically think Sodom and Gomorrah, that it was all about a sexual thing. It wasn't. It was about a selfish thing. And if you study historically, not just biblically, historically, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, in their charter for their township or city, however you want to phrase it, their municipality, it said that if someone comes into this town, we have the right to take what they have and use it for our purposes unless they're of a high enough stature that we want to give them the respect they deserve. I mean, you can go Google this. Go, go search it out uh, and, and find out about Sodom and Gomorrah. But Ezekiel tells us that it wasn't just a sexual thing, which is what we tend to think of. It was about more than that. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, now just a couple of verses before this, Ezekiel, what he's about to say to Israel, he said, you Israel, you're worse right now than Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what Ezekiel says. He says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom and understand that they were connected. They were related. They were all from the, uh, what's called the uh, uh, sons of Shem, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark. All of them came from the same son Shem lineage, although it branches out until you get the Israelites. But uh, they were related and said, Ezekiel tells them, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. And he's talking to Israel. She and her daughters were arrogant, They thought they were better than anyone else. They were overfed. And if you look in other translations, it it literally means they had more than enough food. They had more than enough money. They had more than enough resources. And hey, I know sometimes we tend to look in the United States and say we're hurting and and this, that, and the other, but we are not a third world country. There's, 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 There's not that level of need in the United States. We literally, if we used our resources properly, have enough food, money, and resources so that there's not a single person in this country that should ever go unfed if we use them in the way God intended. He says they were unfed and they were unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. Now, you have to understand the word detestable uh, in the King James Version. I think it says they did things that were an abomination. And literally, that word means morally and ethically disgusting. It's that stuff where we turn on the news and I don't know, you, we, we, I, I've got like a seven-minute time limit before I have to say we got to we got to turn off the news because there's just stuff that goes on. But sometimes you see those things on the news that make your stomach churn make you ashamed to be a human being when you see the way that people treat one another and the things that we do to one another. And God looks at that type of stuff. It's morally, it's ethically, it's just disgusting. And God says, I'm done. And what Jude is saying is, just as God judged those people, he's going to judge these people that are leading congregations, leading the church, leading organizations that say, hey, this is what God says, and it's not. And they're leading people into doing this type of stuff. And it doesn't stem from sex. It stems from selfishness, putting your needs first above those of others. All right? Jump down to verse 8. 
right? Verse 8. All right, you got to bear with me. This is highlighted in orange too. Okay, wow. It says, in the very same way, those dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Now, he, he gives an example. He says that this, this is the type of people that are in the church. This is the type of people that are leading denominations and congregations and all this stuff. And, and the example he used is that, um, uh, that the body of Moses in, in, in the uh, book of Deuteronomy, it just says that he died and no one knows where he was buried. But God apparently has revealed to Jude that there was a time where the archangel Michael came to Satan and there was a dispute over the body of Moses. And you would think that as an archangel that Michael could just, you know, power up or do whatever archangels do and, and just take it. But he didn't. He humbled himself and put himself under the authority of the Lord. And he said, the Lord rebuke you. What Jude is saying is that the kind of people that are leading this church, if they were in that situation, rather than say the Lord rebuke you, they would look and say, do you know who I am? Do you know how many people come to my church? Do you know how many countries I travel around to speak in or how much money they make? They would put themselves up on a pedestal as opposed to putting themselves down below the authority of the Lord. All right? Now, drop down to verse 11. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to rush through this for the sake of time. Verse 11, he says, Woe to them, they have, these people, these false teachers, they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now this is, man, I just love the word of God. He says that these people, they've decided when they put themselves up on a pedestal rather than submit to God, and they're in it for uh, the money or for the for the pleasure or for just their own self-grandizing, he says that they end up taking the way of Cain. And if you know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain's path, Cain's choices led him where? Away from God. Not only away from God, but away from a lot of people. Balaam, if you've ever read the story, he sold his um, spiritual gift for the highest bidder. He had a spiritual gift and his uh, uh, um, a king came to him and said, I want you to go curse the Israelites. And God spoke to him said, no, you can only speak what I put in your mouth. And he spoke what God put in his mouth. He said, I can only bless, I can't curse. But he continued to seek more money from them. And if you read through the book of Numbers, it says that he eventually was killed. Balaam was killed along with the enemies of Israel by the Israelites. Because rather than align himself with God's people who didn't have anything, they were living in the desert, he sought after money and riches, and I'd rather hang out with the kings, all right? Now, Korah's Rebellion, I'm going to put this up here because I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, Korah's Rebellion, in the book of Numbers, this is what it says. This is Moses telling us what happened. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Datham and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and An, son of Peleth, and most of us have lost it by now, but re-engage, this is important, okay? He says, they became insolent and rose up against Moses. 
With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. Now, this is what they did. Basically, these guys rose up and they rallied up all the people, 250 people. They all got together and they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly. They came to them and said, how come you're in charge? Why can't I have people follow me? Why can't I be in charge? Why can't I lead a ministry? These are the people that say, hey, I'm going to go, and I'm I'm trying to stay off of this because Christy and I had a long conversation about this yesterday, and I'm trying to, uh, but these are the people who say, I'm going to go start a church, I'm going to go plant a church, not because I want to reach the lost, but because I want to be in charge and because I'm want to get all that money. These are people who say, I'm going to go start an organization, not because there's a need, but because I want to be the leader of something. And this, this is, if you read through the story, this is what happens, right? Moses said this. He said, this is how you will know. Now he's speaking to all the people of Israel. This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. And here's what he tells them. He says, basically, if these people who are rising up and saying, I'm supposed to be in charge, I'm just as good as you. I want to lead at this, I want to lead at that. He said, if, if, if it's God's idea for them to do it, that's great. They're going to live long lives. They're going to live long and prosper. They're going to do wonderful But if it's not, if it's them, if it's their greed and their selfishness, this is what he said, the ground's going to open up and swallow them down. It's going to be an earthquake. And they're going to all die in the earthquake. And this is what happened after he said that. As soon as he finished saying this, at the moment he like put the period on the end of the sentence, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. This, this, to me, this is frightening because basically what I'm hearing is if God's not in it, it's not going to work. If God's not leading it, it's not going to work. If God's hand is not on it, we can go out and we can do a lot in this community. But if God's in it, we can go out and we can transform this community. And the whole idea of the church is not that men come up and say, I want to lead this and I want to do that. But God's spirit speaks through people to say, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. All right, drop down to verse 12. And here, this is, this. Uh, wow. And if, if this is feeling like one of those, I don't want to say fire and brimstone, but like negative things, this is not me. This is, this, is, this is what Jude wrote. This is his warning that he wanted to give to the church. And I agree, we definitely need to hear it today. Verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain. Uh, excuse me. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. They are autumn trees. Wow, I can't read that with the highlighting and without truth and and uprooted twice dead. Okay. There's like underlining and notes and all this stuff. I wish you guys could see this. I'm not making this up. This is like like crayon color coded. Okay. 
And then verse 13, he says, They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. He basically says again, he, he, he dogs these people out and says, God is going to judge them. The blackest night he's talking about, he says, these people, they're going to hell. Now, the good thing is he gives us a lot of information so that we don't end up like these people or following these people. In verse 14, he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, you can read about him in Genesis, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly, again, he calls these ungodly men, of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These men are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. It doesn't matter how eloquent they speak. It doesn't matter how big the ministry is. And there are ministries that are doing all kind of uh, uh, good things. But if it's not God leading it, especially if all the... I'm not going to dog any ministries, but if I give a dollar to a ministry and 10% of it goes to the intended, and the rest goes to whoever and salaries and overhead, maybe I need to find another way to help that ministry. If I'm trying to, and I, 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 I'm, if there's a way to feed the poor, but every dollar I give, 10 cents goes to actually putting food in the mouth of the poor, maybe I just need to grab some people from our church, say let's make some food, and let's go down, and let's eat with the poor and feed the poor. I mean, you've, 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 we as, as, as Christ followers need to look at where are we investing our time and our money and our resources? Because we're, if we are investing them into things that are not of God, then we are wasting our time and our money and our resources. All right, let me, let me I could be on this all day, but I'm going to move on. Jump down to verse 17. He says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Now this is good because he's, he's, he's giving us some information on how we can refute this. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you. And how many church denominations that back in the day were like pillars uh, that there were now literally hundreds of fractions of those denominations because they've been divided. He said, these are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. They're not led by God. And I'm not, I'm not calling any names. I'm not calling any denomination. I'm just saying that there are lots of places that call themselves the church, that call themselves a God-honoring ministry, but they were started by men to meet the needs of men, to feed the egos of men, and they're not led by God. He says, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. Now here's the thing. He tells us, hey, if this is where we are, and don't think we are not, 
because there are churches today all over this area, all over the city of Pittsburgh, that do not have the Spirit of God. If you heard some of the things that are being taught, you would be appalled. And the good thing is, he says, here's how you can refute and, and, and not fall into that. He says, remember what the apostles taught. They said this is going to happen. And how do you remember for us? We, we are blessed. We don't have to, like, remember, memorize what the apostles taught. We just have to know our Bibles. And, and I kid you not, 99, I'm not making this number up, 99% of the things that are taught by false teachers are things that are not in God's word or are in direct contradiction to God's word. And I don't understand how people can follow these things and yet they're supposed to be reading God's word. It's like, it's like if you're driving down the highway and you're trying to get to Ohio and you pass a sign that says New York City 10 miles. But you keep going, and you hit the river, and you're like, I don't get it. I mean, it's, it's everything that most of those 99% of that's being taught is in direct contradiction to God's word. And you know what? This, is, this is amazes me. This is what's usually said. Someone will come up and say, well, is that what God's word says? And the answer is usually one of two things. Yeah, that's what it says. Now, you're holding... The thing that says it's not. You're standing in front of a sign that says New York 10 miles, and if you go up to, if you're following another car, and you pull over, and you say, Floyd, you said we're doing a caravan, we're heading to Ohio. The sign says New York City 10 miles. If you ask me, Floyd, are you sure we're going the right way? And I say, yeah. We'll be in Ohio soon. How many of you would keep following? I mean, think about it. It's not like they're, 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 they printed a whole other book, although they're old, there are denominations that have a whole other book. But I'm just talking about the ones that have this book. And it's in front of them. And they're being led astray. And he says, now here's the beautiful thing, because I know a lot of people don't like to read. And, you know, it's like this is big because it's got like four versions in it. But uh, a lot of people don't like to read, and I don't want to get up every morning and read. But there are so many different ways. There are apps that will read it to you while you're brushing your teeth. And all you have to do is and just follow along. There are apps that you can read, you know, where you don't have to take a book that will just pull up, hey, here's a verse a day for you to study. They'll give you information on it. There are so many different ways to engage in God's word that there is no excuse for anyone to pass a big honking sign that says New York City 10 miles and still think you're going to end up in Ohio. There's no excuse for it. But here's the other thing he says, and this is where we are the worst at it, and I'm going to ask the band to come up as we get ready to close. He says to build yourself up. I just knocked the plant down. He says to build yourself up and to pray in the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole Holy Spirit thing because I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, which amazes me because God says, I put the Spirit in you. It doesn't matter what Floyd says the Spirit is. It doesn't matter what, what John says it is or what Gary says it is. If you're reading your Bible, what does God say it is? And he says, I put this Holy Spirit in you 
So you have a promise seal so that whenever you want to bring up anything you need to, God, did you really say this? Floyd just said this or some pastor said that. You don't have to take my word for it. You can connect with the author. And the problem is we in the church, instead of using God's Holy Spirit, I mean, he's given us a Lexus and we're sitting over here stubbing our toe, falling off a skateboard. And he says, the way you can do that, pray in God's spirit. Let God's spirit be your guide. Because here's the thing, if God's spirit is in me and I'm a Christ follower, I'm going to ask Larry, stand up. Stand up for a minute, Larry. If Larry is a Christ follower, God's spirit's in him. Stand up, John and Diana. If John and Diana are Christ followers, God's spirit's in them. Can you stand up, Shirley, in the back? And everybody just stand up. Stand up. If you're a, a, a Christ follower, just, just stand up. God's not going to tell me one thing. Floyd, just 10 more miles and you're going to hit Ohio, even though I'm heading to New York, and tell you guys something different. His Holy Spirit is going to tell each and every one of us, you're not going the right way. His Holy Spirit is going to tell you, you need to turn around because that's not what I said. That's not what I want you to do. That's not how I want you to use your money. That's not how I want you, the ministry I want you to be involved in. And we all, if you're Christ, we all have God's Holy Spirit in us. And it binds us. It connects us. But here's the thing. It also protects us. But it's like any other thing. If we don't use it, then we'll get led astray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We're going we're gonna to sing this last song in a minute, but I want to pray for us. God, I just pray that we would be a people who are obedient to your word. Not that we memorize it. Not that we spend time uh, trying to make sure that we know every single word in it. But that we are obedient to your Holy Spirit and we are familiar with your word, God. We pray your hand upon us. We pray a hedge of protection around us that we would not be led astray. We pray that you would guide us in everything we do, where our human resources go, where our our financial resources go. Everything that we do would be led by your hand, by your Holy Spirit, that we would never seek after fame or glory or money or power, but that we would desperately, eagerly, passionately seek after you and that we would do it together as your children. Again, your children, your servants, your people. We are filled with your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge you as God as Savior, as Sovereign. And we submit all of who we are to you, God. And we pray that we would be good stewards of not just your human resources or your financial resources, but of your Word. That we would take time to read it, to know it, to know you through it. And of your Holy Spirit, letting it guide us, protect us, and as as you told us, to be our comforter, God. God, we pray that everything we do would glorify your name. We pray that you would be blessed by just our time together here. 
pray that you would use us to refute, to refute what the enemy is doing in our culture. Not that we fight against each other, fight against the government, or fight against other denominations. But that we fight the enemy with your truth. Allow us to boldly proclaim your word that there is a God in heaven who loves us. Showed it to us by sending his son to die upon the cross. God, we thank you and praise you. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Pray that God would bless you and keep you. And as God allows, spend some time in his word this week. Have an awesome weekend.